Well, good morning to you, and happy Fallback Sunday. We feeling good and rested today? It's kind of a nice feeling. I've been preaching long enough to know two things about Fallback Sunday. The first thing I know is you all show up eager to sing on Fallback Sunday. The second thing that I have observed over time is by the time the sermon is over, you all are feeling like it's lunchtime. And so you're kind of antsy to wrap this thing up. And uh, and that creates an interesting situation because we're actually planning to baptize some people later today, which is a wonderful celebration that we are looking forward to. But we've tried to streamline a couple things in our service, and we'll try to kind of keep the pace moving uh, so that you don't feel so hungry that you've got to leave before the baptisms later today. We invite you to stay for that, for the baptisms of Gabe and Leah and Will later this morning. And I asked uh, Megan to read a passage of scripture from Acts chapter 8 that tells us one story from the New Testament about baptism. And maybe a story from my own history will illustrate why this passage can be helpful to us. Throughout my childhood, um, my mom's parents, my grandparents lived in the same house. And so I have so many memories of that place. The giant oak tree out in the front yard, the stone steps, the sound of their doorbell. I can still hear what that sounded like. The sound of two dogs yapping as you opened the front door. And then when you entered the front door and looked to your right, there was something hanging on the wall that seemed throughout my childhood to be so full of meaning to all of the adults who entered that doorway, even though to me it was puzzling. It was an abstract watercolor painting hung in a prominent location in the hallway by the living room. And the adults, like my mom, or my uncle, or my great aunt, they might stop in front of this watercolor painting and tear up, or cry. Or maybe they'd pause and kind of sigh. Or maybe they'd smile and nod in admiration. But to me as a child, it just looked like watercolor paint on white paper. What's the big deal, I wondered. I couldn't make sense of what I was looking at. Was it maybe an angel holding a globe? Was it just splashes of color that kind of were shaped like an angel? Then eventually they told me it was a watercolor painting of a flower. Go figure, I thought. I didn't see it. But then somebody explained to me the clue to why this painting was so meaningful to everybody who came through my grandparents' house. It was a watercolor painting of a flower painted by my Uncle Larry. And you need to understand that my Uncle Larry was an artist who died when I was in first grade. All of a sudden, the meaning of that painting, which for so long made no sense to me, began to make sense. And actually all these years later, whenever I see that painting, 
to this day hanging in a family member's house, it moves me as well. Because you see, as puzzling as that painting might be on its own, when you understand the backstory, you begin to see the depths of its meaning. And I bring up that story because for many of us, the practice of Christian baptism can be kind of like that painting that used to hang in my grandparents' house. We know that it's meaningful to other people, but it just seems kind of puzzling to us as to why it seems meaningful to other people. And like that painting that used to hang in my grandparents' house, you'll only grasp the meaning of Christian baptism when you understand at least some of the backstory to it. And so today, we're going to pay attention to the story in the New Testament of how one Ethiopian man came to be baptized. It's a baptism story, as you can see in verse 36. The pinnacle of this story is this Ethiopian man's question. There's much water. What prevents me from being baptized? But today I want to slow down and pay attention to the backstory to that baptism. What led up to it? And as we pay attention to the backstory to this ancient story of Christian baptism... I hope that we'll come to understand some more of the meaning of Christian baptism today. Like even the meaning of Christian baptism for Will and for Leah and for Gabe and for many others of us even today. So what is the backstory of Christian baptism? As we pay attention to this account in Acts chapter 8, I want to point out three themes in the backstory of baptism. And the first theme that I want to draw your attention to is the love of God. Or if I were to say it with another word, I might even say the loving initiative of God. You notice how this whole story begins in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And right away, we encounter something of a divine origin to this story. You see, as we read the account of how Philip the Evangelist comes into contact with this Ethiopian, uh, this Ethiopian fellow with means and with status, we might be tempted to some degree to think this is a story about how great Philip is in his ministry. But there's something deeper to this story than Philip's ministry, isn't there? There's something that came before Philip's initiative to find this Ethiopian fellow. What came first was the loving initiative of God. Who saw an Ethiopian man, a North African man, who had come to Jerusalem to worship. And who is now traveling down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. These are, of course, locations that ring in our ears because of news today. And the only thing I want to say about that in passing is the Lord has been at work in places like Jerusalem and Gaza for thousands of years. 
which should increase our faith in praying for the Lord's ministry to people who are enduring hardship and suffering of war in places like Jerusalem and Gaza even today. But the Lord sends a messenger out into that road. Why? Because of his love for this Ethiopian man. You see, this tends to ring true in every baptism story that I've been connected with. When we begin to dig a little bit underneath the surface, it's not just about a decision that one man or one woman made. The story of baptism is at its core a story of God's love for us and a story of God's loving initiative to save people like you and me and to bring us back to him. Um, 150 years ago or so, there was a preacher, um, a famous preacher in England who reflected on this topic and how it showed up in his own life. And he describes this issue like this. He says, when I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. And then he describes one weeknight when I was sitting in the house of God, I was not thinking much about the preacher's sermon for I did not believe it. Now that might be the most relevant thing for a few of you here. I wasn't thinking much about the preacher's sermon because I didn't believe it. Here's someone honest enough to describe that as part of his own experience. But he says, and then the thought struck me, how did you come to be a Christian? He has kind of an inner dialogue here. Oh, I sought the Lord. That's how I came to become a Christian. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The thought continues. The truth flashed across my mind in the moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I did I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. But how came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? And then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all. And that he was the author of my faith. And so the doctrine of grace opened up to me. And I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change 100% to God. Amen. You see, one of the first things that we notice in the story of this Ethiopian man's baptism is the same thing that Charles Spurgeon discerned about his own conversion. What we notice is that God is at the bottom of it all. And later today, as we celebrate together Christian baptism for Will, for Leah, for Gabe, I hope that this will be something more than simply an appreciation of these three individuals whom we love deeply. I hope that we'll see in the backstory of their baptisms the love of God, the loving initiative of God to seek them out and to bring each one of them into his own family. In fact, this is something I want to say a few times today. 
the longer I've been a Christian, the more I've realized that baptism is not just about her or him or him. It's not just about the individual being baptized. Christian baptism is for us. And so as we, as Christians, as we as a congregation, as a church, witness their testimonies of God's loving initiative to seek them out, I hope this stirs up among us a deeper sense of gratefulness, maybe even a deeper sense of worship before the good shepherd who would leave the 99 to seek out one such as me. Here's a first theme that we see in the background of baptism. It's the love of God. In fact, let me pause on that one more second. A month ago, uh, six weeks ago, we baptized another five individuals and Josh Anderson was leading the baptism class, uh, which was great. And I was sitting in on the baptism class. And part of what we do as over two weeks as we explain the grace of God to those who are going to be baptized. And as we explain what Christian baptism means to them over a couple of Sunday mornings, Josh just leads us in reading a lot of verses of scripture that just show us what the gospel is all about. And one of my favorite moments from that specific Sunday, um, Amelia, can I use your name? <laughs> Too late. One of my favorite moments is we're just reading along in the Bible, scripture passage after scripture passage after scripture passage, and then Amelia speaks up out of turn, and she just says, God is awesome. Amen? (laughs) Amen? And listen, as we witness Christian baptism today, there should be something in our hearts that just says, God is awesome. This isn't just a celebration of these three individuals. It's a celebration of the love of God and his redeeming grace. It brings us to a second theme in baptism that we need to notice. And it's this theme of the faithfulness of a messenger, as I would call it. You see, as God in his loving initiative sends an angel to get Philip's attention and to say, I've got somebody for you to find. Go out there into that desert place. Philip has to begin an arduous journey out into the desert, a challenging journey into a somewhat dangerous place. And verse 27 tells us he rises and he goes. He rises and he goes even when he doesn't even know what the end of the story is going to be. He doesn't even know what's going to happen, but he knows I'm called to go and do something on behalf of the Lord. So he begins taking one step at a time, even before all of the details of it are clear. And along the way, he finds this North African ruler. An Ethiopian eunuch who works for a woman of great power and prestige in Ethiopia. This individual had come to Jerusalem to worship. We don't know everything that was going on in his life story. 
We don't know if he had begun to convert to Judaism and if that maybe had brought him to Jerusalem to worship. We don't know if he was just curious and intrigued by the many religious traditions of the diverse world that he lives in. As many college students today are intrigued to learn more about the many world religions in the diverse world that we live in today. We don't know if he's just got this spiritual sense of seeking and he's looking for anybody doing any spiritual stuff and that takes him on a journey to Jerusalem. Perhaps he was going on official business. We don't know what took him to Jerusalem, but we do know this. The Lord made sure there would be a messenger in his path before he made it back home. And here we encounter this faithful servant named Philip. The Spirit says to him in verse 29, not only go out into the desert place, but now go and seek out. The Spirit says, go over to that chariot. Go over to that person of specific prestige and begin a conversation with him. And then verse 30 tells us that Philip runs over. I kind of love this picture. Like, wait, wait, wait. God has something for me to say to you. It's kind of a comical picture, I think. But he runs over and he begins a conversation with with this man from Ethiopia. But here's the thing that we want to notice as it relates to the backstory of baptism. As this Ethiopian man ends up getting baptized, I'm sure that he was fully aware my baptism is a result of the grace of God. I'm sure this Ethiopian man was aware God was at the bottom of it all. But I can't imagine that this Ethiopian man would ever tell the story of his baptism without remembering with a certain sense of gratefulness that faithful message who brought the message of the Lord into his life. And here's what I want to pause and say for a second. Isn't the same true today? As we celebrate the love of God in bringing people into his family, aren't there always faithful messengers that the Lord has used in his process? I mean, even in the most extreme cases, like in the case of Saul of Tarsus, when he's converted really through a vision, what does God send him to do? Go and find someone who can help you understand more of this. We're not doing this all by visions, you know, like that's how it works. Even in the most extreme of circumstances, there are always faithful messengers involved in bringing us to the point of baptism. When we do our starting point class and we kind of introduce people to Uh, what we understand to be some of the basics of the Christian faith and what we understand to be what it means to participate in church life, one of the things we often do there is we say, how many of you, and we're talking to people who want to participate in the church, and so we're assuming, you know, you're there because you've met Jesus, and so we say, how many of you met Jesus through someone that you didn't know before they led you to the Lord. Maybe through a radio program, maybe through a random track, maybe through a random stranger who comes across your path. And every once in a while we get somebody in our class who has a Philip and uh, Ethiopian guy kind of story. Like the Lord just led this person across my path and now here I am following Jesus. But way more often than not, We then say, how many of you came to know the Lord through a faithful messenger, maybe like someone who was a close friend of yours at school or a close friend of yours in college or a family member that you grew up around 
or somebody that you had known and trusted for some amount of time. And that's when almost all of the hands go up in the air. You see, sometimes the Lord does use surprising surprising messengers to come and help us understand the message of the gospel. For example, uh, one of the people being baptized later today, Will, shared earlier today, and I think you'll hear it in his video later, that part of what led him to get baptized today is that Ray Mensa, the Lord led Ray Mensa from Ghana, West Africa, to come and speak here a couple of months ago. And something related to Ray Mensa being led from Ghana, West Africa to come and spend a little bit of time in northern Illinois of all places and coming to preach here. The Lord used, the Lord led Ray here and the Lord used that faithful messenger to stir something up in Will's heart. And praise God for that, right? But praise God also that the Lord had been planting seeds through parents in his own household. And the Lord had been planting seeds through youth group and through friends who are Christians here in this church family for years leading up to that moment. And so even if, like Will, we can say, the Lord led someone from another continent to help me come to know the Lord, very often we can look back and we can see this whole trail of faithful messengers that the Lord has been using to plant seeds in our hearts and our lives. And as we recognize that, especially as we recognize that linked in with the recognition that ultimately this is about the loving initiative of our God who's at the bottom of it all, when we think back on the faithful messengers that the Lord has used in our lives, I think that one of the effects for us should be a certain kind of holy gratefulness. A certain kind of gratefulness to God for putting people in our lives to talk with us about Jesus and to teach us about what it means to follow him. Gratefulness is one of the most overlooked routes to joy in our world, isn't it? You know how many dollars gratefulness costs you? It costs you zero dollars to be grateful today. You know how much time it will take you to be grateful today? Probably not much. And yet the joy that we can experience and discover in life as we slow down and spend zero dollars and perhaps only a minute or two reflecting on life and turning those reflections into saying to God, thank you for bringing into my life People like Mrs. Busick, my Sunday school teacher. People like my mom and my dad who shared with me, about, who taught me about Jesus. Friends like Emerson who told me about the Lord. As we just stop and for zero dollars and at the cost of only a couple minutes of time and give thanks to the Lord for those faithful messengers that he's brought into our lives. There's a world of joy and gratefulness that can be unlocked in front of us, even now, even right now. And even as we watch these baptisms later today, let me ask you directly, what faithful messengers has the Lord put in your life? And how can you perhaps turn that recognition into gratefulness to God, saying to him, thank you 
for these people that you've put in my life. So three, three themes we want to notice in the backstory of baptism. One of them is the loving initiative of God. A second one is the faithfulness of a messenger. And the third theme that we want to see, at least in this story of baptism, and I want to suggest as a theme throughout baptisms, is the message about Jesus. You see, as Philip runs into this Ethiopian ruler traveling in a chariot, as he approaches the chariot, what does he hear? He hears the Ethiopian man reading something out loud. Now, in our world, it might be a little bit weird to hear somebody read stuff out loud because we're used to reading silently. That's like the polite way to read on the train or uh, on public transportation, right? Um, but in, in those days, almost nobody read silently. It was common practice to read out loud if you were going to read at all. And so here is... Here is this Ethiopian man reading out loud. And as Philip comes closer, you can almost imagine the joy welling up inside Philip as he realizes God's already at work here. Because this guy is not just reading some random scroll. He's reading the scriptures according to Isaiah. And more specifically than that, he's reading from Isaiah 53. About the suffering of the servant of God. The unjust, the undeserved suffering of the servant of God. And you can almost imagine the smile on Philip's face. I think God's up to something here today. And he approaches. And he says, well, do you understand what you're reading? See, understanding the message is important in coming to Christian faith. Do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian guy, I just love this guy for his humility. How could I understand if nobody's going to explain this to me? I just love this guy's humility. Most of us read stuff and we're like, no, I got this. I don't need any help. But, but this Ethiopian guy, he's got this commendable intellectual humility to say, sure, I could definitely use some help understanding what God is saying to me here in the Bible. And then we read about the passage in verse 32 coming from Isaiah 53. And then the question, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? His Ethiopian's humility reminds me of another friend that we baptized here in this church a few years ago. I, I share this story with his permission, but a few years ago we baptized a friend of mine named Ken. And I texted him and said, can I share this story? And he said, say hi to all my friends for me, even though I won't be there on Sunday. So I've got his permission, but Ken told me I could tell about this, that that Ken came to know the Lord. He's a, he's a, a lawyer and a smart guy. And he started reading the Bible at some point and someone had told him that the book of Isaiah is good. And he starts reading the book of Isaiah. But Ken, like this Ethiopian guy, is filled with enough intellectual humility to admit when something doesn't make sense to him. And so despite all of his training at law school, despite how sharp he is, he just came over to me one day and said, I'm trying to read the book of Isaiah and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Can you help me out? And I had this smile in my heart when that happened because I just made this simple connection. This simple connection 
between Ken's humility and the work that God was doing in Ken's life and this Ethiopian's humility and the work that God was doing in his life. And sure enough, a few months later, we baptized Ken in the Fox River, I think in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. It was a sweet celebration. But here's the thing. As he asks, who is this about? And Philip answers, we learn something important about the word of God itself. We learn something important. You see, there's something that we might describe as kind of magnetically beautiful or something kind of magnetically glorious about the scriptures such that someone like the Ethiopian ruler or someone like my friend Ken might be drawn into reading from the book of Isaiah saying there's something magnetically beautiful, there's something magnetically glorious about it, but I'm not yet understanding it. There's something magnetically beautiful about it. And here's my question, what is the key that unlocks that for someone like this Ethiopian ruler or for someone like my friend Ken? A great part of that is the answer that Philip gives When he opens his mouth in verse 35 and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You see, in Philip's mind, the Bible is not just a story with a random collection about a whole bunch of different characters from Moses to Samuel to Isaiah to Peter to Paul, a whole bunch of characters. And we kind of get lost in which one we're reading about and who it's all about. But according to Philip, this book is not fundamentally just a random collection of stories about a whole bunch of different heroes. According to Philip, even if you're reading in the book of Isaiah, it's all about one hero whose name is Jesus. And the same is true if we're reading from the book of Exodus or the book of 1 Samuel. The same is true if we're reading the letters of Paul or the letters of Peter. This isn't about a whole bunch of different heroes. According to Philip and according to Christians across the ages, our good news is not come and learn all the rules that Moses taught. Our good news is come and hear about King Jesus who came to live a righteous life that we have failed to live, who came and gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, dying on the cross, and who rose again in triumph over sin and the grave, opening the way for people like you and me to know him and to live with him forevermore in the joy of his kingdom. That's the good news about Jesus, that this whole book is all about from beginning to end. According to Philip, this book is not just a magnetically beautiful book about a whole bunch of different people. Whether we're reading from Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, Peter, or Paul. It's a book that is magnetically glorious. Why? Because it's drawing us to Jesus. By the power of God at work in every part of the scriptures. I love that Gabe earlier today shared with me that part of his story of coming to faith relates exactly to this issue. He grew up, he said, hearing the stories 
about many of the characters in the Bible. But I love his honesty and how he described it earlier today. He said it always seemed like these were just fairy tales. I love his honesty in saying that. Isn't that true for so many of us? We read the Christian scriptures, the Old Testament and the New, and we read them just as if they're fairy tales. Well, that's cute. Well, that's interesting. Well, how much does that inspire me today? We read them just as if they are fairy tales. But the glory of the Christian scriptures is that they invite us to imagine what if something better than a fairy tale is actually true? What if the thing that all of the fairy tales have all been pointing to is gloriously true? The hope of true love, gloriously true. The hope of the deepest enemies defeated, gloriously true. The hope of overcoming everything that is lined up against us, gloriously true. The hope of overcoming death itself and experiencing life beyond this life, gloriously true. Not just because we imagine and wish it to be so but because our Lord Jesus Christ gave his life and rose again from the grave in triumph over the great enemies of sin and death on our behalf. This is the good news of the message about Jesus. It's the message that changed this Ethiopian man's life. And it's the message that is still good today. It's the message that is still changing hearts and changing lives in 2023. You see, as this passage ends, after the Ethiopian man is dunked in water for baptism, and as he goes on his way, he's traveling back to Ethiopia, and in the context of the book of Acts, we see that God is up to something bigger. The gospel is moving away from Jerusalem and Judea. One baptism, one changed life at a time. The gospel is moving to Ethiopia and to North Africa. Soon it will move to Italy and Europe. And as history teaches us, to Asia and to South Asia and India. And one day, this same message Traveling one baptism and one changed life at a time would lead to lives being transformed 2,000 years later in far-flung places like northern Illinois today. To the ends of the earth, the gospel is still good and it's still changing lives across the centuries and in cultures around the globe. As this passage wraps up, the Ethiopian man is taking his story of his own baptism and his experience of the good news of Jesus Christ back to North Africa. He's rejoicing all along the way. And Philip, mysteriously, is taken to another place to keep on preaching the gospel. Now, just a quick note uh, about verse 40. I've done a lot of baptisms. I have never yet seen someone mysteriously transported out of the water to another location. 
But if that happens today, that would be cool. <laughs> Amen? I don't think that should be our expectation. I think this was a unique moment that God was using in a unique way. But why does God do stuff like that? To put his stamp of approval on it. And to say that this story of his love, God's love, working through faithful messengers to bring the good news of Jesus Christ one life at a time to spread from Jerusalem and Judea to North Africa and to the ends of the earth. This is God's stamp of approval saying, this is what I'm doing in the world and this is what I'm still going to be doing in 2023 and beyond. You see, at kitchen tables and at coffee shops, in workplace lunch spots, and in college campuses, in conversations with neighbors, and in Bible stories with kids, we get to join this movement of what God is doing. God's love through faithful messengers is spreading the life-changing, magnetically beautiful and glorious good news of Jesus Christ through His Word, one life, one conversion at a time to the ends of the earth. And we get to play a part in that. We get drawn into it. You see, this is the main point that I want to draw our attention to you today. If baptism at times has felt to you like that painting in my grandparents' house, I see that it's meaningful to other people, but I'm not sure why. I hope that recognizing some of the backstory to baptism can help you and can help us appreciate the glorious meaning of what we celebrate as we celebrate Christian baptisms today. I hope it will lead us to a place where we can praise God and join together in giving thanks to Him. For his love, which is at the bottom of it all. Working through faithful messengers who from all of the scriptures are explaining the magnetically beautiful and life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. To those Christians here today who have been baptized before, let me reiterate, baptism is for us. And so I hope that as you witness Christian baptisms today, this is, this is a moment when you can recognize this isn't just about her. This isn't just about him. This is about us as believers. This isn't just about her or just about him being blessed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This isn't just about her or him being brought into the family of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is about us. And as God is symbolizing and also sealing and strengthening something in her life and in his life and in his life, I hope that the Lord will be symbolizing and sealing and strengthening something in your life. As you praise his name that you are brought into the family of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Through his word, delivered by faithful messengers, but ultimately because of his loving initiative as a good shepherd who would seek out one like me. To those who are Christians witnessing this, this baptism today, 
I hope that this strengthens something for you. I hope this draws you closer to our Lord himself. And to those of you who are not following Christ, I do believe that baptism is for you as well. Because even if it is not yet your story, that you would say, I know that God in love sought me out and brought me into his family, that can be your story even today. And Christian baptism is designed to be a public testimony Telling you, visualizing for you, with pictures in front of you, the love of God. That through the power of His gospel and through faithful messengers, invites you today to join the family of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to join us in giving thanks and rejoicing in the name of our great Redeemer who loved us and gave Himself for us. And to those of you who are being baptized today, Leah and Gabe and Will, I hope and pray, and we will pray for you later as well, I hope and pray that today is a day of deep gratefulness for you. Not a once in a lifetime kind of gratefulness, not gratefulness today that you'll never experience again, but I hope that today is a a day of profound gratefulness for you. Marking the beginning of a journey of lifelong faith in our great Redeemer who loved us and gave himself for us. And so I pray that your baptism today will be a gateway into decades of rejoicing as you anticipate an eternity of rejoicing together with countless multitudes from around the world and across the ages who say, my baptism leads me to say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. This is the meaning of Christian baptism. This is in the background of every story of baptism. Of course, there's more that could be said about baptism. But in the background of every baptism story, in the background of every true baptism story, we see the love of God at work. Using faithful messengers who carry A magnetic and life-changing message about Jesus. Leading to lives being transformed to the glory of his name. Amen. At this time, I'd like to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to make their way forward.